0: welcome to the thought leader podcast i'm dr ken and i'm randy baker and on the thought leader podcast we search the world for interesting and fascinating and sometimes remarkably smart guests who are going to challenge the way you think they're going to inform you of things that you may not have thought about, and they're going to ignite your imagination as we discuss all sorts of topics. All right. Without further ado,
1: so Rand, I'm very curious to talk with you, an artist, about one of my favorite words, chiaroscuro, like the light and dark play. So, what's what's your feeling? I mean, you already asked me about my lighting. What's your feeling about space and chaos or noise and the signal through the noise or light and dark
2: noise and the signal through the noise i i like the sound of that um (laughs) but yeah i mean certainly you can't have one without the other right without the light you can't have the shadow you can't see uh the form but i'm trying to where you're going with the chiaroscuro uh reference though (laughs) I immediately think of painting because I'm a painter and artist and I work in charcoal and paper. And so achieving that effect is something certainly that I've studied, but uh, yeah, it's just thinking about it in that broader term of light and dark and how it affects our moods and our days and where that takes us. And, and the fact that uh, many of us have a pers- one personality during the day and another at night, it's, you know, the day is work and the night is play, or maybe the reverse for some people. <laughs> yeah, then,
1: yeah, why not? Right. So, so to kind of lead that into the rational, I always start abstract. But, sure, how would you compare that sort of world of light and dark artistic stuff? How do you pull that down into the data world and into the business world in your own life and work?
2: So, actually, my career arc kind of does follow that in a way. As I began my first agency in 97, and I ran that for 12 years. It was a full service agency and very much focused on creative and more of the intangibles. So definitely strong messaging, great design. Uh, we wanted to create beautiful websites, all, all of that. And I started that in 97, with Metaphor Studio was the name of it. But uh, throughout my career then, you know, technology has advanced to the point where we can track everything now. And so the art became more of a science. And so one of the things that kept me interested in marketing coming from an art background, I had originally gone to school for illustration, did some work with the New York Times Book Review and that kind of thing. But the ability to begin to track behaviors And I think it was the behavior part that interested me the most about the tools that have come about in the last 10 years, let's say, in terms of real tracking and and the way the data can talk to us and tell us, inform the creative and the marketing much more. That's really what has caught my attention. And that's where I've gone from kind of this really colorful, creative world and approach to really the more black and white of let's let's look at the data, see what it's telling us. What other things can we put in place to read more data to create a fuller picture? So, and then I, I work with clients that do things like psych- psychographic segmentation and, you know, really seeing how they're, in their case, they uh, have identified five different personality types for patients and they're able to get them to, to do things that otherwise they wouldn't do, take their medicine on time, show up to clinic visits that they weren't showing up to before by speaking to them in their specific personality. And it's through a process that they've been able to identify through data who these people are, and they can literally map out the country and tell you where certain personality types live and that sort of thing. So really interesting.
1: One could say you
2: are, you're
1: into, uh, so, uh, there's a dad joke coming here. Uh, one could say you're into psychographics and psychographics. Yes, it's uh, a really Brian. bad joke. I'm I'm sorry. That was I had to do it. It was in my head. I had to. So, but let's leave. Let's have that lead us into the rational. So if I point towards Randy and say, "Hey, Randy," Ran is the example of amazing pricing. I'm not sure if he's willing to chat with us about it, but I'm pretty impressed as as to kind of how he's laid out his, his business model.
0: So yeah, and I'll, I'll come to that in just a second. But before I come to that, I want to talk about data-driven content marketing. And I'll tell you a little story. A, a few years ago, I started working with a company who assured me that they a data-driven company. And they collected every piece of data they could possibly collect, and it sat there. And somebody would come along and look at it and say, I think this means that we should be doing X. They had no idea. And every company I've spoken to that talks about being data-driven are not data-driven at all. They're interpretive-driven. And it's two very different things. One is the collecting of the data, and there was no guarantee that their data was collected from the right place. The second is how do you interpret that data to tell you what to do? So you talk about data-driven content marketing, which sounds fabulous. What does it mean? Well, in regards to the content, we actually use
2: the content and measure the behaviors related to the content. And match those with the desired prospect that we're looking for. So for those that come through and they do the things that we want them to do, they read the blogs, they download the white papers or the guides, they uh, subscribe to the things that we want them to subscribe to. If we're doing our job right, we're creating the content that is specific to them. So other people really shouldn't find an interest in it. It's probably over their heads or so specific around a particular job type that they wouldn't even really know what it means. So if it's the right prospect and you're using the right content, then you can begin to see a model where they consistently follow through the funnel and do the things that you want them to do if it's well-designed. And so what we like about that is that we can then repeat that by focusing on content that is showing those results versus the content that may be drawing in people who are writing a college research paper on that topic or because then you know that you're absolutely missing the prospect and you're just, you know, educating people who have no idea and aren't going to be intent on buying.
0: Right. So that makes sense. So you're starting you're designing your your content design process starts from what is the behavior that you want the person to take
2: it does it is based upon that ideal customer profile so right it's the buyer persona
0: because so much stuff i see out there is and stuff people are, are trying to measure is based on a single action they they want people to get a like or they they want to they want to get a click or they want something, but their targeted messaging doesn't drive necessarily towards that thing. So you take that step and and create the messaging to induce a specific behavior. And,
2: and ours is a longer view. So as we're creating the content, one of the things I'm adamant about is that we're creating real information. We are not creating content for content's sake or just to load it up with SEO words. We're actually... Right solving pain point problems of that prospect. So when they, they put the effort in to search on something on Google and they find our link of our client's content, they, they're actually solving their problem and they see that our client provided them that information to solve the problem. So to me, that validity creates the authority and the thought leadership from the client being the expert and really establishes that in their minds. And then we weave the marketing in, not into the copy itself. I try and keep that as pure as possible um, Mm -hmm. and fact-based as possible (laughs) without the fluff. But then we adjacent, we put context in context, white papers, guides, case studies that might relate to so that if they decide, oh, this was a great piece of content, I just learned something Now, what else do these guys do? What do they have? What that kind of thing?
0: Right, nice. So, I find it really interesting because there's a lot of people pretending to be or trying to be in your space.
2: Absolutely, we
0: we get pitched like 20 times a day, uh, as does everybody else out there. And one of the things that they, you know, the the current sales folk teach is to not put your prices out there, and yet you are quite expensive and i congratulate you on your fee basis i think that's you're in the right place and you put them on your website we do what, what's what's theory behind that because it's totally opposite to if if
2: they are not uh at a place where that's a comfortable number for them then we don't want to talk with them we would rather that they recognize that it's not a fit and that we're gonna do a series of things and I need to do all of the the activities in order to achieve the results. So if I were to start to remove some of those activities each month to get the price down lower, it's not gonna achieve the same results. Or if I let the client tinker with what the, the mix is, it's not going to achieve those results. So we have defined that with this starter package, then it will achieve results. We know that within three to four months, we're going to see organic really start to go up. And within four to six months, you're going to see very qualified leads starting to download things and make themselves known. By six to nine months, you should be getting proposals and producing estimates, uh, et cetera. And hopefully by nine months, you have a pipeline from the content because I'm going to ask you for a renewal on the next year because we want to work on the first quarter of the second year.
0: Right. So it's a $100,000 12-month commitment. Yep. Before you really see results. But theoretically, I'm, I'm guessing most of your clients have really good margins and really good opportunities. They do. Generate. And,
2: I, you know, we focus on B2B. So the average contract size is rarely less than $100,000. Um, yeah. You know, we say your average contract size should be at least $50,000 if you're going to be producing content and investing in content because they're going to be doing more research when it's 50000 and above. And so content really comes into play in that case where they're educating themselves and trying to make really considered decisions.
0: So do you have teams that write the content or is that up to your clients? We do.
2: We do. We, we get the content researched and written we have a director of content strategy, and then we have editors that work with writers. And that way, we can uh, source writers from many different fields with the great backgrounds, technical backgrounds, that sort of thing.
1: Nice. So, Ryan, if I were to dive in with you for a minute. So, what's fascinating is what I see is beautiful. So, it's the, it's the, the frame of a well-designed business, a well-designed team. What I'm missing is the artisticness, the flavor, the flair, the the um, in music we'd call it the timbre, right? The unique, the the, the weirdness, the, the quirkiness. The company doesn't need it, but I, I'm wondering where your story is in the mix because I see hints of it, right? I see hints, but you're such a quirky, interesting, different guy. I'm I'm curious where that. I mean, obviously, it makes sense to subsume that to a growing business in some ways, but I feel like you should step out of the shadows now.
2: <laughs> so I've been an entrepreneur my entire career. Leaving art school, I started my first agency, ran it for 12 years and sold it in 2009. I've had three agencies now, and uh, this one is definitely the most performance-focused in terms of you know the creative versus the, the performance side. I have a general interest in business and entrepreneurial uh, pursuits and keep a foot in that side. I'm a brand consultant, and I've never stopped doing that. I don't put it out there as much in regards to our B2B clients because many of them don't see themselves as brands, even though once we can get in and we get a program that's working for them, they'll listen to us a little more, and then we're able to make them look more sophisticated and uh, so do you see yourself as a brand? Absolutely.
1: Cool. Like you, not your company.
2: Yeah, yeah, we we all are. I mean, I, I, I have tried to explain to a lot of clients that, you know, every individual really is a brand. And you're writing your own history every day. So I, I'm, I'm holding
1: your feet to the fire. So so yeah. where is brand ran? Because I, I, I was digging for it and I didn't see it. Because I'm, I'm meeting you and, and I feel it. <laughs> but this is the cobbler and the, his own shoes thing. I feel like a little bit
2: uh, to an extent, to an extent. And a lot of our new business does come through me and my networking and my social and right. in-person social more than my social media. But uh, I would say that I have quieted my personal brand in regards to the company, because in building reliquent, my intent is to put together really competent, smart teams 100%. and, uh, That's what we've done. And that's about that business. I still live my life. I'm still the gregarious uh, whiskey drinking uh, painter as well as being a business owner. So So
1: if I were to ask your mom or your dad at age like five, six, seven, you're the little dude with them, how would they describe you way back then?
2: Well, my dad wasn't there. He left when I was three, and then oh passed away oh. when I was eighteen. He was oh. forty-two. Oh my uh, but my mom would always describe me as uh, very quiet, very introspective. I would go disappear into a room and draw and be creating my own worlds and and that kind of thing. So amazing. Um, yeah, I was, it, it was I've just been reading
1: time. up on just been reading up on C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, and the first time apparently they met each other. They were like, you also design worlds? You also like go off in a room bike?
2: By- <laughs> yeah, it wasn't until college that I needed to uh, begin to promote my illustration work, where I started doing a lot of interviews and going to meet art directors and took the trip to New York City to meet Stephen Heller at the New York Times book review. And, yeah. Yeah, and uh, some of my heroes, uh, illustrators like Marshall Erisman and, John Jude Palenkar, some of those guys, um, where you know I understood that I was going to have to take on a different persona in regards to making money to live on. Uh,
1: so I feel like I feel like more young young people. I'm just just the hint. I know we don't have that much time. Randy's going to do some timekeeping here in a minute. I'm sure, but I think we we toss that back and forth. But in what I what I think is so interesting about Iran is the immediate gregarious, like you said, that word gregarious and the the emotion and the the humor and the very calm, chill manner um, that I'm familiar with because I come from the art world where people can be chill and, and soft-spoken as well as just giants, right? But I wonder whether you personally could have a different impact in parallel to your company because you built this great company I wonder whether the new generation of TikTokers, right? That literally not not some high pressure thing, not like always be selling kind of crap, but literally like, no, I you know, here are my biggest thoughts as a mentor. I'm chill, I'm I have an introverted kind of sensibility, an artist. You know, you can be whatever you want to be. I, I might be projecting, but I feel like there's a lot of it feels like there's some legs there.
2: Uh I hear where you're going. I am actually an ENFP as few uh follow Myers Briggs, but
1: <laughs> I had a I had a boss once who, who would even um give Myers Briggs to his girlfriends. So at that point I kind of <laughs>
2: <laughs> I won't tell you who. <laughs> um yeah, I, I I think that um reaching younger people through different media makes a lot of sense in terms of, I do a lot of mentoring with young entrepreneurs and young marketers. And I, I like the one-on-one aspect more than I do. I've not been that concerned, I guess, with creating a brand of my, my name or myself. I, I love to do the work. I really enjoy it. Like I love being a brand consultant and getting behind the curtain and, and helping clients with their brand mantra you know, getting a company down to three words and then building out the brand manual and how they talk about the company. Those are are powerful things and uh, really enjoyable to me.
1: I would love to see you build out a one-to-many, just a side project kind of thing, because I think you could inspire a whole lot of young artists and designers and wannabe entrepreneurs who are listening to too many hustlers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we we are we are coming to an end of our time. Um, something I did want to say to you, Ran, is that when I was looking at your website and planning this this podcast and this interview and thinking about it, I had a totally different picture of who I was going to be talking to. I thought I was going to be talking with a you know thirty-something hustler who's out there. <laughs> Trying to teach us stuff that he learned in some six week program that he did that he bought from some other 30-something hustler. And and I was expecting to be able to come in and basically say, hey, listen, what gives you the right to do this? Which is something that I would love to do one day. And I yeah. haven't come across anybody yeah. yet who's falling into that category. <laughs> but what what came on when I first when you first joined was a really cool, warm, intelligent, guy and i got excited when i saw the easel behind you and the art on the wall because we don't see that very often so i would love to know more about you and less about your business and i think you would find that will drive more of the right type of people towards you just a closing thought for was me.
1: that a, was that a dog sigh that i heard
0: that was- that was definitely a dog. sigh I have two dogs. I have two <laughs> dogs under my desk, um, and they're both freaking out because we've got thunderstorms coming through, and neither of them like it. So they, they hide under my desk and make weird noises. So,
1: <laughs> so as a closing piece, uh, Ran, we'd love to know you know where folks can find you. But I'd also love, as part of that, can you work into that that piece of art, so to speak, how you got your name, Ran, because it's a cool name.
2: Oh, yeah. So Rand comes from Randall. Um, That's my given name. But I didn't feel like a Randall. Um, I was called Randy as a kid. And I chose Rand as I was in college, in art school, and decided that uh, I would rather Rand than Rand with a D on the end of it, even though that's more familiar to some people, it just felt pretentious to me. So Rand, I went with and I, I maybe it's the art artist side where I felt like I had the right to choose what people call me. So. (laughs) So Ran, where can folks find you online? Uh, So the company is Reliquant, Reliquant Reliquant.com, R-E-L-E-Q-U-I-N-T.com. And my personal site for the brand consulting is RanMullins.com, R-A-N-M-U-L-L-I-N-S.com. It's
1: been such a pleasure chatting with you and I can't wait to see what you do next.
2: Great. Thank you so much.
1: This has been such a
0: wonderful conversation today. It was surprising. It was intriguing. It was interesting. And this is just an example of the types of guests that we have on the Thought Leader podcast. And we would love you to subscribe so you get to hear the next issue. Or you can visit our our website. Our website is thoughtpartnergroup.com. And at the top, you'll see a little button that says, take the assessment. In one minute, you can take the assessment and get a response from us. We'll read everyone. All right. Take care, have a good life, and we'll see you on the
1: next one.